This is the Education Gadfly Show. No. What? A mix of a coyote and a wolf. In Bethesda, Maryland, I kid you. What are they hunting? Hats? What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for the week, the grizzly bear of education reform, Andy Smerick. I'm back. It's he's, been a long time. Thank you for having me. He's back. He has traded in his uh, sweater vest for a winter beard. That's right. It is a polarizing beard from everything I hear. 90% of the people oh. hate it. 9% of the people really hate it. I thought you were in a, in a, in a, <laughs> a, a, a polarizing versus polar bear. Uh, amazing. And, and you have I, more puns about my beard than I could and, ever imagine. And of course, <laughs> I am just having fun with, with the bear jokes today, uh, the day after the Betsy DeVos hearing where grizzly right. bears came up. Also joining us, Fordham's own Alyssa Schwank. Hey, hey Mike. Hey, Andy. Alyssa, you told me that uh, Joy at Rest the LA minutes. Times, yep. I thank you, uh, has reported on whether or not that school has a gun to keep away grizzly bears. Answer? No. No. Of course, we never have a gun in a school uh, around children. Maybe, maybe not. But what happens? Is somebody there trained to wrestle a grizzly bear in case uh, the unthinkable happens? Do we actually know if there are any schools that have I mean, you have to assume that there are some. I thought there was a grizzly bear fence. That was where yeah. the entire story started. They yeah. have a fence to protect and, and, themselves from the grizzly bear. And by the I way, I don't think they need the gun. You know what's in my neighborhood that somebody has spotted? A, a deer. Koi wolves. No. Koi wolves. What? A mix of a coyote and a wolf. In Bethesda, Maryland. I kid you not. What are they hunting? Cats? Uh, How do they dogs? I, I think and deer. And deer. I mean, you know. Yeah. Are they bred to hunt deer or? Uh, I don't I know think people bre- don't I mean, like deer in their hostas, but. I don't think they've been bred. I mean, I think that they just, I don't know, like at some point a coyote and a wolf got together and now we have koi wolves and they're like the size of wolves. We have wolves. And people look the other way while they take down local deer. And, and I've never been a gun guy, but maybe, wow. you know, you know I, need, I mean, I, I could take my kid's uh, Nerf gun out, but I don't think that's going to do me a lot of good. They won't be afraid. You know, things. I. Though if you get pinged right in the eye, those things do hurt. <laughs> I had like a dollar on you calling Andy the grizzly bear today based on the facial yes, hair and yes, last yes. night, but we really went in a different direction than I, we, than we I really could anticipate. Did, yes. All right. Well, we should say Andy in case you don't know somehow who, I don't know who you are if you don't know who Andy Smarrick is. He is a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a visiting scholar at Johns Hopkins School of Education and the president of the Maryland State Board of Education. But most importantly, I am an alum of this uh, wonderful institution for <laughs> having written for you guys for a long time. So thank you for having me. Uh, of course, Andy, who cannot keep a job. I, like I cannot, uh, from one thing to another. <laughs> you're, you're, by the way, you're, you're the president of the State Board of Ed. Which Checker's means you're the vice Checker's president. boss. Yeah, and I am your constituent. You are. That, that's right. No, Checker is so funny. He's more knowledgeable than any of us. And yet he's in public session will refer to me as his boss. It embarrasses the living daylights out of me. I like it. I he like doesn't it. mean it, but he's yes, nice. Of course. <laughs> of course. All right. Hey, lots to talk today. I, 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 you know, I always say it's an exciting week in education reform. Usually, let's face it, that, that's just not true. But this week. But this week, week it really has been is. pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like, like network news were the stuff happening in education. So let's talk about education reform update. All right, here we are the day after the DeVos hearing. Uh, Alyssa, Andy, you know, quick thoughts that people listening haven't heard already a million times. 
Well, if they're listening, they're probably on Twitter. So they've probably heard um, a lot of thoughts and I'm not sure I can add anything new, but it was certainly as people expected, it would be um, a pretty contentious debate, much different than the tenor of the last couple at Secretary Confirmation hearings. My sense, at least again on Twitter, is that folks on the left think it was a disaster that Mm -hmm. she made these huge mistakes. People on the right seem to say, yeah, she did fine. She's going to confirm, you know, yeah, she needs to learn a little bit more about a few policy areas. No big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where where do you stand on that continuum? I'm kind of, I think in the middle, I think she's still going to get confirmed. Um, Some of the questions, I think they grilled her um, and it was definitely a debate. Um, The IDAA questions, I think, uh, really resonated both on Twitter and in kind of the media and the growth versus proficiency debate. I don't think we've heard the end of that. Mm -hmm. Andy? Right. I mean, in hindsight, we should not have been surprised with what happened whatsoever. Um, The... The Democrats wanted to extract a pound of flesh during this hearing. They wanted it to be tough, and they succeeded. And also, um, Betsy DeVos has worked for a long time on school choice issues in Michigan, and she probably is a 10 when it comes to the knowledge of those kinds of subjects. But the U.S. Department of Education does a whole lot more, and there's just no way to get up the learning curve on every single U.S. Department of Education issue unless you've been doing that work for a long time. So I think the fact that she may have stumbled on IDEA or growth proficiency the question for all of us is, was that just an outlier or is that um, a symbol, a signal of more the, what's to come? Yeah. And you know, that, that she's going to need a good staff as Andy Correct. Rotherham mm-hmm. has said, he's going to need a good team. Uh, you don't necessarily expect a cabinet secretary to be the policy wonk. Uh, they need to have policy wonks who work for them, who they trust and who are smart and good and honest. Uh, but head of the agency uh, doesn't need to be the wonk themselves. They mm-hmm. need to be somebody who can set a vision make a compelling case, uh, come across as relatable to the public, uh, work with Congress. Uh, still, uh, they should know that there's a federal special ed law. Yeah, that's right. And I agreed with you up to a point, which is um, at the end of the day, what the secretary often does is has to adjudicate the toughest issues that staff can't yep. do on their own and work with the White House and OMB on various issues. And they need to be buttoned up on a bunch mm-hmm. of tough policy issues. And I'm mm-hmm. certain she will get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are people who have done education policy for quite some time who were surprised that IDEA and yeah. growth proficiency came out the way it did. Mm-hmm. All right. New topic. Uh, get, now to get into more substance. Uh, you know, the, the whole reason that we think President-elect Trump nominated Betsy DeVos is because he's serious about doing something big on school choice. He'd made a $20 billion promise during the campaign. Uh, We just had an event here at Fordham and with the Hoover Institution to talk about three options Mm -hmm. of how to do that. One would be a big new competitive grant program. Two would be making Title I and IDEA dollars portable, including to private schools or at least letting states opt Mm -hmm. into that. The third is to do something with the tax code, uh, like allowing individuals or corporations to take a tax credit if they contribute Mm -hmm. to scholarship granting organizations. Uh, Sounds like option number three is the likeliest. Is is that still your impression, Andy and Alyssa? Is that what you put your money on? No. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced <laughs> of that either. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not sure that people want to open up the tax code and do school choice in this way. I think it would be the easiest to do. I'm mm-hmm. just not sure that that's the path that they're going to take. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm still kind of leaning toward the option behind door number one, which Andy and Joanne Weiss uh, really went in depth in, which is some sort of competitive program. Um, I think once you throw in, Kind of the Democratic opposition, like that's the most likely, I think, to get through Congress. So, all right. And you're saying that's not necessarily your preference or maybe, but you're just saying you think that's where I'm going to put my money on on. prediction. I mean, here's the situation that none of these ideas would be able to get even a straight majority vote in the Senate because 
you'll have Republicans who will peel off. You'll have especially rural state Republicans who are not going to vote for any kind of private school choice program. They're just not. They don't mm-hmm. even vote for charter school programs. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so you're not going to get to 51 votes. The only way any of this stuff gets done is if it gets attached to something else that has to pass. So if it's a small competitive grant program, maybe it could be part of an appropriations mm-hmm. bill. We've seen other programs like the Teacher Incentive Fund be created that way in the mm-hmm. past. The tax credit thing, though, if you want to do something big, like $20 billion big, mm-hmm. that's where they're getting in there, mucking around with the tax code and doing it through this thing called reconciliation, which I don't really quite understand what it, that means. Uh, but it allows the Republicans to pass a bill with mm-hmm. just 51 votes. Trump says, hey, you know, I'm not signing it unless you include $20 billion for school choice. I think it gets done, right? Well, I think you're uh, underestimating the um, shirts versus skins nature of politics in D.C., which is if you had just described NCLB to a bunch of Republicans in 1999, they would have said there's no way Republicans will vote for that. Mm-hmm. But because the president of the United States was a Republican mm-hmm. and he asked his party to vote for it and many Republicans, and I was working on the Hill for a Republican yeah. who ended up voting against it, but many mm-hmm. of his colleagues voted for and the Obama administration with race to the top pushed things that many Democrats voted for that they mm-hmm. held their nose on. So, yes, it's true that lots of Republicans in Congress have not in the past voted for school choice stuff. When Donald Trump, the new Republican president, asks them to vote for something, um, I think we're more likely to see the race yeah. to the top or NCOB. Right. And, and, and they don't have to take an up or down vote on this piece. I mean, it may be that the only vote there is, is do you want this? You know, several trillion dollar tax overhaul, which is going to change all kinds of things, lower some tax rates, increase others, mm-hmm. do a bunch of stuff that you, Senator, really want done. Uh, and by the way, it happens to include this 20 billion thing uh, for school choice. Well, uh, you're right. But my point is that if there were an up and down vote on a standalone school choice measure that's modest in size, and if he calls it a party vote. I think we're likely to see some of these uh, rural state Republicans be willing to say yes. So you're saying your competitive grant program could have a chance. Yeah, I also think it depends on, you know, what we're putting into like this $20 billion school choice plan. Uh, Mm -hmm. Virtual learning is something that has been bandied about as being a potential component of this school choice plan. I grew up in a rural state. Mm -hmm. I took a lot of virtual classes that would benefit Mm -hmm. rural students. I see a compelling argument both politically mm-hmm. and for constituents there. Did you take one of those online gym classes? Uh, no, I did not take an online gym class. I took online AP government, among other things. Really nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. AP Academy through uh, the State University. Uh, what grade you get on it? You got a five? I got a five on government. We're not going to talk about my psychology score, though. Uh, you got five on government. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. Fascinating. Good for you. Interesting. You. Okay, good. All right, so this is this is fascinating. I have to say, you're, you guys pushing back against the conventional wisdom here. We might have a real debate on a competitive grant program. That'd be interesting. Everybody agree the Title I portability thing, not going to happen anytime soon. Well, I want to put in a small word for that. Um, eventually, as a nation, we're going to have to deal with this. Title I was developed in a different era when you could funnel money down to states and they could funnel down to districts and you would capture virtually 100% of public school kids. Public education, including private school choice Mm -hmm. programs and chartering, has upended that infrastructure. And eventually, we're going to have to rethink how Title I is done. It may be too soon now to do it, but it's going to happen eventually. We Mm -hmm. cannot continue to think of it as a block grant, goes to states, goes to districts. There are too many workarounds Mm -hmm. now. Well, and and this idea that, you know, (laughs) I think I've only really come to understand lately that that Title I goes not just to low-income kids. uh, It's actually for low-performing kids. Uh, mm-hmm. The money is is sort of uh, triggered by having a lot of low income kids, and you just you know we we care a lot here for them about Your low income high achievers. Exactly. What, what's that about? That's, That's crazy. Mm-hmm. 
That's true. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Uh, you know, that, that if we had a true follow the child backpack, wages student funding kind of system where we just say, hey, look, the federal, we're going to provide extra federal money for poor kids. But we're also going to provide mm-hmm. extra federal money for kids with disabilities. That's the federal role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, let's then work for states to have more equitable systems. And this goes on top. That's a, that's a nice, clean, certainly less mm-hmm. than today's cumbersome system. Mm-hmm. But that will probably yeah. have to wait until the reauthorization of ESSA. Probably yeah. right. You know, I did come up with a nice little slogan for them today at our event while listening to Joanne yeah, Weiss yeah. and Mackenzie Snow talk. Uber, but for student funding. Not bad. Interesting. What I'm here for. Alyssa, communications <laughs> expert. All right. That's all the time we have for Ed Reform Update. Now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Amber was at our uh, Betsy DeVos hearing and viewing party last I night. I was, except I left a little early because the drinking was just, I couldn't quite hear. At one point, I'm like, <laughs> I got to go. Like, if I really want to listen, yeah. I got to like go listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. fine. I just wasn't yeah. involved in as much as the merriment as yeah. other people. No, 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 no. You <laughs> listeners are hearing this right. We actually did have a happy hour party to watch the DeVos hearing because if you're yes. going to schedule it at 5 p.m., what do you think us wonks are going to do? Yes. Have a drink or two or three or some yeah. five or six. Uh, we're not naming names here. Uh, table right here. Five or six. Really? <laughs> so uh, what, do you, what, what do you think, Amber? I've asked earlier, you know, how big of, you know, she made a few mistakes. Were they stumbles? Were they disasters? Where do you come Well, down? I mean, the IDEA caught Pretty my much. attention. Yeah. Yes. I was like, oh, just buried my head into my hands one on that one. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know. That was the biggie. That mm-hmm. was the biggie. I mean, she she walked the line. Everybody's sort of saying the same thing, right? Like, how many times can you say, I'll be happy to work with you guys yes. on that and look forward to working with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonk, wonk. I'm but. so glad that I don't have to have a job like that where I can't, you know, actually answer really the think? question. <laughs> yes, that would, oh, it's the worst. It's the yeah. worst. I will say I was not terribly good at it when right, I was at right. the Department of Ed. We have and, yeah. well, I'm here like reining you in to get yes. you to stop saying what you think about or everything, tweeting right? Things. Yeah. Yes, no. Um, didn't you? Wasn't there something with a New York Times yes, article back in the story, day? Yes. Yeah. Anyways, I, you learn your lessons. <laughs> this, this is a better rule for me. I agree. <laughs> okay, All Amber, right. what you got for us? We got a new study that examines the effects of post-Katrina school reforms on school-level expenditures in New Orleans. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Most of these, quote, reforms, mind you, include the shift from traditional public schools to a system of state-authorized charter schools. Okay. Mm-hmm. Recall that the control of most schools, I mean, everybody knows this, but let's just say it, shifted from the Orleans Parish School Board to the Recovery School District. And by the way, incidentally, is now being returned back. Yep. Um, though this analysis occurs before any of that begins to take place, okay? So they're looking at district-level expenditures from 2000 to 2014. They take out 0506 because that's when Katrina happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also include CMO, Orleans Parish School Board, and RSD costs. And that's important because, you know, you got to capture that, quote-unquote, centralized cost to the best that you can. Mm-hmm. They compare spending before and after the Katrina changes, focusing especially on the most recent year of 2014. Uh, to do so, they create a weighted average of spending in other districts across the state that mirrored the pre-reform patterns in New Orleans school spending. Okay. Key findings. Number one, the New Orleans public schools spent 13% more per pupil in operating expenditures than the comparison group after the reforms. Hmm. 
even though the comparison group had nearly identical spending patterns before the reform. Okay, so it was about uh, 1300 per student. All right. Okay. Number two, spending on administration increased by 66%. Uh, that ended up being about 700 per student, which mm-hmm. is a little, um, you know, seems, you know, worth noting <laughs> relative to the comparison group. Of that increase, 52% of that is due to a rise in total administrator salaries due to hiring more of them. Mm-hmm. And number three, instructional expenditures declined by 10%. This was driven in part by a drop in instructional staff benefits and salaries. Mm-hmm. Now there's this, you know, like what did what do these numbers mean? How did all this happen, mm-hmm. right? And they spend some time discussing that. Um, so they try to sort of say, okay, what happened here? They attribute most of the increase to a loss in the economies of scale. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay, since charters don't have centralized services, they got to kind of go it alone in, in most areas and are there more schools now than there used to be uh that's a really good question They're probably i mean oh, the charters probably. you know tend to be smaller there may be, should be more but more of them yeah. right yeah more small schools uh another reason is that rsd required all of its schools to provide transportation mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't have attendance zones anymore and kids uh were traveling longer distances yeah. oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, they also say de- declines in instructional expenditures are partly driven by the fact that before katrina charter schools were required to pay into the state retirement system mm-hmm. afterwards schools could offer 403b accounts mm-hmm. that's Boom. another difference uh teachers also have less experience so salaries are lower uh administrators often have be- business backgrounds and they could expect higher salaries mm-hmm. uh, because they could get that outside of education uh teachers might also need more pd and hands-on leadership so analysts hypothesize that perhaps they hired more managers yeah. and charter schools are also contracting out more services so i don't know i mean on the front of it, you look at these numbers like, oh my gosh, we thought charter schools were could do more with less. Um, but when they, you know, start getting into it and explaining, uh, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of but sense. I'm still why confused. we confused. Where, where did the money come from? I mean, was it that the it's, state yeah, it's decided only, to spend okay. more money? Yeah, them, I mean, or? the bad news is it's only looking at expenditures and not revenues. And they pretty much say schools spend what they get. Yeah. Um, so the implication is that there's, Okay. You know. But is it maybe that that it, the Orlean Parish, the central office, used to keep a big chunk of that money? And so now um, most of it's going to the schools? Is perhaps. That the, I mean, okay. but they're they're capturing the cost of Orleans, you know, they're capturing all those expenditures yeah. at Orleans. Yeah. So I mean it's really tough when you can only look at one side of the equation, yeah. right? Yeah. Do we know um, anything we about ran into that? whether or not um they're Private giving would be incorporated yeah. in those expenditures. I mean, nothing on the nothing revenue on side. Revenue. Yeah, that's okay. interesting. So, yeah. yeah, you saw a bunch of foundations come in, but but I think that was still for a relatively handful yeah. of, of schools. It right. wasn't for everybody. Well, and they say at the end, like we can't, like they insinuate, like they had they got more money, and then yeah. we can't keep continuing to you know yeah. have this pattern. You know, it, what's fascinating to me is that when you give this autonomy to schools, uh, you tend to see them organize themselves like you see organizations outside of education organize themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, in other words, most private sector areas, what you see is, you know, a lot of younger workers who are making relatively low pay. Mm -hmm. And then as people, you know, get more experience, uh, you know, over time, some of those people drop out. It's like a pyramid, right? Mm -hmm. And, And because it's just, you can't afford to have everybody be a 20-year veteran making six figures. It just doesn't add up, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're a school or you're a consulting company or anything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you figure out that the people making 100,000 have to earn that money by doing something pretty Mm -hmm. special Mm -hmm. like managing a team or like, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing in resources. So, 
uh, it it does make sense, um, and, and it's exactly the opposite of what unions want. Right, and didn't we have some good research recently that said, you know, how many average times does a person switch career? I mean, like that's yeah, we have that. Right. We're switching more than mm-hmm. we used to. The younger and generation companies too, so. yeah, yeah. So there's just some right. some idea that that's more expected. I think in the workplace that you don't stay somewhere. For yeah, and you understand. Years. Look, I understand why the unions don't like this, though. Of course, yes. you know because uh, you know they they are especially their leadership is led by people who are career veterans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this notion that, uh, Hey, the only way the economics work is if there's not many people left by the end of their careers. And if they're making big bucks, they got to be doing something more than the Mm -hmm. thing they were doing 20 years ago. And there's Mm -hmm. not much of a career ladder, you know, in education, unfortunately. So even though we've tried to, do more of that and and all of this said uh with you know the, these changes that we see guess what the charter schools are doing dramatically better than yeah, the schools were that's before. Right. and that's a point they made in here mm-hmm. and oh by the way they got quite a bit of student achievement bang for their buck even yeah. though they spent more yeah buck, yeah. presumably yeah so. hey i'm fine with that you know what I, i've long felt that i would love to make education in america safe for greater investments in other words mm-hmm. if you know if we're successful as reformers then we could feel more confident making the case to the taxpayers saying, hey, an extra dollar in is going to get you uh, more results. Get you mm-hmm. this. And uh, I think Stronger in some places we've, we've gotten there. You right. know, we're, are, we're heading in that direction. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Amber. Cool You're study. You're welcome. I yes. like it. Another, hey, New Orleans, a lot of awesome stuff coming out of New Orleans. Yeah. Love it. And, and and I don't know if you know this guy, um, Doug. He was actually- Of course, in, Doug was, Harris. I was on the radio. He was on the radio. Oh, okay. And he morning. was on Fox News last night. So I'm like, this guy is like pretty everywhere. prolific. He's yeah. everywhere. everywhere. And he'll yes. be on a panel with us on February 2nd. 2nd. Yes. So, yes. Okay, good. All right. Well, until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.